Welcome to the Story Night Podcast, a place where we share hearts, our hurts, and how God's wonder intersects with the story of our lives. A ministry of Calvary Mac. Here's our host, Jessica Campbell. Hi, ladies, and welcome back to the Story Night Podcast. Tonight, I have another one of our throwback episodes where we get to listen in on a live Story Night event from the past and then catch up with the speaker. Normally, we just dive right in, but for this particular episode, we're going to go a little bit out of order. I have Cassie with me, a friend of mine from Santa Barbara from a long time ago, and I'm so happy to get to see her again. Cassie, before we play the recording of your story night from last year, I just wanted to give you an opportunity to quickly say hello to the listeners and maybe let them know a little bit about what your story is going to touch on. Thanks, Jessica. Hi, this is Cassie, and thanks so much for having me on the podcast and for sharing my story again. I wanted to just give a little disclaimer that in my story, I talk about issues of mental health and walking with my dad through his bipolar disorder, and he eventually took his life. So I'd be talking about suicide, and I want to give everybody a heads up because I know that that really can be painful for some people who've had personal experience or have dealt with mental health issues themselves. So in sharing this, my intention was not to bring pain into anyone's life, but I wanted to share my story because I think there's really power in sharing and in bringing hidden things to light. And I hope that if you listen, that you will find hope and see that God is good through any challenge through any situation, because that that was my experience. Cassie, I'm so glad you are here. I'm so glad you shared a year ago, and I'm so glad you're willing to catch us up now. Uh, But I'm especially grateful for just these moments of you sharing ahead of time. I think it is really important that anytime we're touching on a particularly heavy topic that that listeners know and Maybe this particular moment is not the best time for you to listen, but maybe you come back to it tomorrow or when you're ready. If this, if this story might stir up some heavy emotions, we really encourage you to listen when it's the right time for you and maybe even pray before listening and just ask God to open your heart and mind before taking this story in. So ladies, I invite you right now, we're going to go back in time about a year ago to March of 2020 and hear Cassie at the live story night event at Santa Barbara Community Church. As we get started, I wanted to kind of share three facts about me because some of you know me and some of you don't. So the first thing I wanted to tell you is that my family has been around Santa Barbara a really long time, and I am actually seventh generation Santa Barbara native, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) My great, great, whatever grandfather came here in the late 1800s from Scotland, and he settled in Santa Barbara around the area of Hendry's Beach, and my maiden name is Cassie Hendry. Mm Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's not Henry's, by the way. (laughs) Don't say Henry's. It's Hendry's with a D, Scottish descent. So just remember that. So, anyway, he grew lima beans in the neighborhoods near Hendry's Beach, and every week he drove his buckboard wagon into town to sell them. He wore a kilt and played his bagpipes in the pub in town. And he used to fish for salmon in the river that runs into Hendry's Beach. You wouldn't want to eat salmon from there now. There are no salmon. And also at the time, nobody wanted to settle in Montecito because there were too many grizzly bears. (laughs) Yes, ancient history, ancient history. The second thing about me that you should know is that I love nature and I love being outside. And one thing I'm really into is foraging for edibles in the wild. So if you are ever spending time with me, I might show you things you could eat in the wild, and I might teach your children to eat them. We're just, I was outside with my kids today, and they're walking along, just eating stuff, but it's all edible. It's all good. <laughs> I, uh, I just took my kids backpacking this last weekend, and um, we were getting 
pine nuts out of a ponderosa pine cone. That was really exciting. And then last, a couple weeks ago, I was out with friends, and we foraged wild honey from a wild honeycomb in an undisclosed location. That was very fun. That was a highlight. The third thing you should know about me is that I don't like to buy new things. I like to find new things. And so free piles are my favorite. <laughs> I am embarrassing. I stopped at one today, just a few hours ago. And so it's not unusual for me to find a piece of furniture on the side of the road and bring it home and throw a coat of spray paint on it and voila, it's new, good as new. Also, I have this funny thing where I love to move furniture around in my house. When I say I, I mean my husband <laughs> moves furniture around for me, and it kind of, it really annoys him, but I just have to redecorate. It's just in my blood. Just last week, I said, honey, I was thinking we could move the piano from the living room into our bedroom. <laughs> and he kind of sighed, and then he did it. Oh. It looks great now. You should come over. <laughs> anyway, so let's start at the beginning. I was born in 1984 in Mission Canyon. This is my mom, Cassie, who also shares my, my name, my dad, Norm, my sister, Isa, who's nine years older than me, and me as a baby. Aw, so cute. <laughs> this is my family uh, with my two older half-brothers, and I just... <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't find a picture with everyone in it. So my mom's holding the dog, and anyway. <laughs> my sister is, like I said, she's nine years older than me, so we weren't contemporaries when I was growing up, but now she's a dear friend, and she is just so fun, so funny, really creative. She just published a landscaping book, and just such a lovely person, such a lovely person. My brother, Michael, oh, he has such a bad mullet in this picture. <laughs> Oh, I haven't really looked at this picture till now. Anyway, he is, he's my oldest brother. He is so brilliant. He's so smart, so passionate about the things that he's into. For example, he was really into trees and redwoods, and he ended up finding the tallest tree in the world. So that's just a little clue into him and how passionate he is about stuff. He's also just a very thoughtful person and really is a deep, deep thinker. My brother, Jeb, who's kind of sandwiched in between, he is such a dear friend. He's what I call a wooer. Like, you just want to be where he is, and he woos you. And he's a great storyteller, such a fun person, and has a really, really tender heart. So that's Jebby. And then my mom, Cassie, she is such a beautiful person, so generous and kind, and she's the person you really want to visit you when you're sick. And then my dad, and we'll, we'll circle back to my dad later. That's my dad, Norm. So anyway, I wanted to kind of find a picture that encapsulated my childhood. And I found this picture of me, me with a horse. And I had a very carefree childhood. I grew up in Mission Canyon. I was a very unscheduled child. So I was just running around in the neighborhood, enjoying nature, catching ladybugs, digging in the dirt, building forts, and drawing. And I loved horses too, so I rode several neighborhood horses, and that was just my childhood, a girl and horses and art. And so special, I'm really thankful for my upbringing. And as a result, I was a real free spirit growing up, and I still am. And I have a huge imagination, <laughs> maybe a little too big sometimes. And I was slightly feral, and I still am. Like, I like to eat stuff, and it's just part of who I am. My parents were big adventurers. They took us on a lot of trips to Baja, California, and all over the place. We went camping. They really encouraged my free-spiritedness and my quirkiness, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. They were also artists themselves, so my mom and dad, um, when I was growing up, they had a home studio where they did pottery. My dad threw the pots on a potter's wheel, and my mom decorated, and they sold those at various craft venues. So they really encouraged our love of art, and I think that's where I got my love of drawing and art. When I was in seventh grade, uh, my parents took me out of school, and we did a year trip to Costa Rica. They homeschooled me, and we traveled all around, and normal families would fly to Costa Rica, but we decided to drive, and 
there's me again. This is what we drove in. <sighs> a 69 Chevrolet, barely working, loaded with all that, I won't say it in church, stuff. And yeah, you can imagine, I was sandwiched in between my mom and dad's seventh grade, remember? So it was just the time. And I was kind of mad at the time that they were taking me out of school and my friends and stuff. And we had some wild adventures. But looking back, I see that this was just a really cool thing that we did, the love of adventure. So one of the biggest gifts my family gave me was love. I felt so loved by them, and I knew that I was completely cherished. That's a huge foundation. I think it really set me up in my life to have really positive relationships with others, with my husband, and an eventual understanding of God's love. So I'm so thankful for that foundation. So about God, I I don't know if I thought much about God as a young child, but I knew I believed in him, and I really believe he was there drawing me in. My dad was interested in mystical experiences, and he majored in religious studies at UCSB, and that became a big part of his life, and my mom and dad gravitated towards an Eastern expression of spirituality, so they meditated regularly, and The smell of incense still transports me back to my childhood home. And they shared that to me with some extent, to some extent, but they also really gave me the freedom of my own mind and my own choices, and I'm I'm really thankful for that. I had gone to a Catholic school growing up, Marymount, and I have so much gratitude for the education and foundation I received there. I had amazing teachers who were so nurturing and so loving, and It was just a really lovely place to be as a young person. And there was definitely the the Catholic expression of faith was there. We went to Mass, and I remember looking up at Jesus on the cross, and that's a, a, a pretty powerful image, and that made an impression on me as a young girl. But it was very much, it was out there, and and I think what I remember is I really wanted the wafers at communion and <laughs> I, I wasn't really allowed to have those, and I also wanted to wear the white dress in second grade, and yeah. But I have to say, my motivation was not spiritual at that, at that point. <laughs> it was like, just wanted the, the stuff, right? So when I was in eighth grade, I was invited to a Christian Surfing Association meeting, and you might be wondering what that is. It was a bunch of junior high and high schoolers who get together and talk about surfing and God. Did I surf? No. Were there cute boys there? Yes. (laughs) And we've connected the dots, and it turns out my future husband may or may not have been attending this meeting. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, some of my cousins were going, and their lives were really getting touched by God, so I went. And if you've been around church for a while, you might remember the greatest hits of the 90s of the worship songs, and one of them was, Lord, I Lift Your Name on High, if some of you remember that. But anyway, it's kind of like when I hear it, it's kind of cheesy, but the lyrics were powerful, and it, this, is, this is what it says. It says, you came from heaven to earth to show the way, from the earth to the cross, my debt to pay, from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky, Lord, I lift your name on high. And it was just such a powerful message, and I was like, it's true, it's true. God took all my sin. He paid my debt. And right there, I was eighth grade, 12 years old, 13 years old. I just said, Jesus, I want you. Come into my life. And I remember I was sitting on the ground wearing jean shorts. Why do I remember these things? I don't know. And I just said, God, come. And I totally felt warm. I felt his love. And I now look back on it and recognize that was the Holy Spirit just pouring his love on me. So that wasn't, there wasn't any hoops to jump through. It was just like, here's an invitation, and I accepted. And, and that was the beginning of a journey for me. It was, it was kind of the planting of a seed for me of a life of faith. And then later when I was in high school, I was kind of your you know, high school student, pretty vain, pretty into myself. And I was introduced to this church by several people. And in high school, it was just, it was pretty cool to see a group of people living for something outside of themselves. And it was really appealing. And this church had a huge impact on my life. There were so many adult leaders who loved me and poured into me in really positive ways. And some of them are sitting in this room right now, 20 years later, which is pretty, 
pretty cool. When I was about 16 years old, I decided to get baptized. And this is a picture of me getting baptized by Kelly Soifer, who was the youth pastor at the time. And really special, joyful day for me to just say, hey, this is me. I'm, I'm a Christian, and I'm not ashamed of it, and I love Jesus, and here I am. I'm getting baptized. New life for me. And you can see the joy on my face. Uh, yeah, and another fun tidbit, tidbit I put together later is that my future husband, who I didn't know at the time, was playing guitar for this celebration. Yeah, very special. So I feel like this coming to faith was kind of like a love story for me. It still is, and I'm very experiential in the way I, I just feel stuff, I guess. And there was another love story that was happening at this time, and it's with this person. <laughs> That's Chase Coop. This is when we first started dating post-college. Babies. They're so little. Anyway, and it eventually, I'm not going to get into the whole story, but we were pen pals, and then we were dating, and then it led to this a couple years later, and then it led to this, those. I don't know how that happened. just happened. Anyway, so, but... This guy, I am so thankful for this man. He is steadfast, he is considerate, he is courteous, he loves me and he loves our kids so deeply. He has such a heart of service for others and what a blessing he's been in my life. Anyway, a snapshot of our early married life. We got married in 2007 and we lived in an apartment downtown on Olive Street and we were just really enjoying life being young married people, and we used to do spontaneous things for fun, like ride our scooter down State Street (laughs) and go to costume parties and dress up in character from the characters of the Count of Monte Cristo just for fun. So we were just kind of goofy, and we didn't have small kids, so you just do stuff like that, and you have all the time in the world, and anyway, we were making plans for the future potentially moving overseas, and I was working at Santa Barbara City College as an ESL teacher, and I was almost done with my master's in teaching English as a second language, so I was working through that master's degree. So as I mentioned, the Christian faith has been a foundation for my life, and I've always had a deep belief in Jesus since my young adult years, but there was a very specific day in 2009 when I felt God's presence in a really special way, and I'm going to tell you about it, it's not something I talk about a lot because it was supernatural, and it's very personal, but I'm going to share it with you. I was uh, driving in my car down Foothill Road, and I was going to a really stressful work meeting, and I was praying probably something like, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, (laughs) something like that. And I can hardly describe it, but the presence of God came into my car in a very powerful way. I knew he was right there with me. I was sure of it, and I was completely overcome with emotion. I started crying. I pulled my car over. I was driving down Foothill. I pulled up Cienaguitas and just parked, and I just wept and wept as the waves of God's love poured over me. And it was almost like he was saying, I'm not far away from you. I see you. Cassie, I see you, and I love you so much, and I'm not going to leave you. And it was so real. And I think this was a gift he was giving me of knowing his companionship, and it was something I was going to need for the trials I was going to face just a year later. So I want to tell you a little bit about my dad, Norm. There he is. That's my dad and mom. This guy. How can we even start to describe this person. He, so larger than life, he was the life of the party, hilariously funny, so thoughtful. He had a strong personality, a million friends. He annoyed some people. (laughs) One thing about my dad is that he could connect with anyone in the room. I used to say, He could speak to anyone in any language, whether he knew it or not. (laughs) And he used to say, Cassie, do you want to be interesting? Then be interested. Be interested in others and what they have to say. And he was so interested in people. He could connect with anyone. He could talk with anyone. And he made them feel heard and special. 
And I remember this would embarrass me throughout my life when I was young and I was going to the private school where all the moms and dads would come in their nice cars to pick up their kids. And my dad would come in that truck that you saw with, (laughs) yeah, an apron covered in clay and he would get out of his car and come play basketball with the boys on the playground. And I just wanted to die inside. (laughs) But he was connecting with these Elementary school boy is so cool. And then later in high school, my friends would come over, and I just wanted to, you know, let's go in my room and we'll talk. But my dad was there engaging them on spiritual and political issues. And I was like, Dad, okay. But now, looking back on it, I see that was really rare to have that kind of connection with people across ages and demographics. And it was really a gift. So my dad was also an amazing artist. My parents were craftspeople, and they had a home studio, I I mentioned that, and he was always working throwing pots. He developed a lot of new glazes and firing techniques. He would uh, fire these kilns late at night in our home in Mission Canyon, sending plumes of flames going up into the night air, and the fire department would sometimes come. And uh, he was just so creative. He taught at Santa Barbara City College in the adult ed department for 30 years, where he was much loved by his many students. And he, uh, oh, there's another picture. He had a really, he had a deep love of the earth and nature, and he took us camping and backpacking from the time we were small. And he never missed an opportunity to tell us all about the native plants. (laughs) And... um, I took my kids on their first backpacking trip this last weekend, and I just felt myself descending into the Norm Hendry lecture mode, native plant lecture mode. I was like, children, behold the manzanita berry. (laughs) Moment of silence. And they're like, okay, mom, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just can't help it. He taught us all the names of the plants and which ones to eat and which ones not to eat. And it's just, he he was very connected to the earth. He was also an old school longboarder. He'd been surfing since the 70s. And this is him at the Hollister Ranch getting a big ride. It's pretty fun. He was always making everyone around him laugh. And we had a really special relationship from the time I was little. This is a picture of me. Um, I was back east at, at college, and he came to visit. And yeah, we were close. We used to have heart-to-heart talks where we shared what was really going on deep down inside. And one of the gifts he gave me was to make me feel really valued and loved and listened to. He always used to tell me he loved me. He always used to tell me he was proud of me and that he loved my singing voice when I was not a great singer. He was just the ultimate encourager, and I, I really, really miss him. So my dad, Norm, he, he was so full of life. And he also suffered deeply with mental illness. He was bipolar. And my parents shielded me from this to some degree in my growing up years. But my mom eventually sat me down when I was about 10 or 12 and explained that my dad was, at the time, we were calling it manic depressive. So for him, it started with a few dips in college, and it kind of worsened as he got older. And so unmedicated, he would have manic sprees that could last for weeks, and he wouldn't sleep. He would um, have these grandiose ideas, sometimes go off the radar, and just be really unpleasant to be around. And, and this was usually followed by a depression, just flat and gray, can't get out of bed. He took medication to temper those high highs and low lows, but he never really felt like himself on it. I think, especially for a creative person like he was, the temptation to go off medicine and feel that high was really alluring and just to kind of feel the rush. And yeah, so he he seemed to me normal most of the time, but I think inside he was always a little bit depressed. Um, And he had several episodes a year, which is usually followed by some kind of family intervention. And that's kind of just what we live with, but I felt it more and more as I got older. It was so hard for me to understand it when he was alive what it was like to live in his body, and I still, I don't understand because I feel pretty happy most of the time. But after having each of my three children, I experienced very de- various degrees of postpartum depression and anxiety, and this has given me a little bit of a window into what he suffered. 
just what it feels like to be imbalanced, out of control, to have thoughts that come out of nowhere, to have anxiety about things that aren't based in reality, and just a pervasive sadness. So that has given me compassion for what he faced and also for all of those who suffer with depression and anxiety. So in the summer of 2009, he stopped taking his medicine and declared himself healed and had a months-long manic episode. And this was a really difficult time for our family. He was scary to be around for me, and I was deeply hurt by some of the things that he did and said during that time, even though he wasn't in his right mind. I was hurt. And I really just wanted my dad back because the person was not my dad, and I was scared. Tried having conversations with him, but he was really in his own world, and he wouldn't be reasoned with. So just a word about my mom in this time. My mom really loved my dad, and she was so faithful to him. I'm sure it was really difficult to live with him at times, especially during these harder moments, and would have been easy to leave, but she was so faithful, and she was an example to me of what it means to be a friend and a partner to someone who's struggling. So in the fall of 2009, he um, seemed to kind of level off, and everyone's like breathing a sigh of relief that he was getting back to normal. And then one day my mom said to me, I think your dad's getting depressed again. And he was coming down off the mountain, and he sank into a really deep depression that got so bad that he was barely leaving the house. He was rail thin from loss of appetite didn't want to get out of bed, and he was obsessing over things. He had anxiety and paranoia about things that were not in touch with reality. He was having suicidal thoughts regularly, which he told me about, and he had two unsuccessful attempts to take his life during the course of a month, one one of which ended him in the psychiatric unit of the hospital. He had to be watched all the time, which was really stressful on my mom and on all of us, and there was a very small circle of people who knew about this, so I think the load was especially heavy on those of us close to him. I was seeing him daily or almost daily during this time. And yet, during this time, during the darkest moments of his life, there was another narrative taking shape below the surface. He was meeting the God of mercy. I mentioned that he was a religious studies major in college and he spent his life in pursuit of spiritual reality and seeking, but Here he was at the very lowest time of his life. He wasn't able to do any of that. He didn't have the emotional currency for it. I've heard it said that just like water always flows down to low places from a mountain, so also does the river of God's presence flow down to the lowly. And that's what happened with him. Jesus said, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And this was so true at the time. In this dark moment, Jesus came to him in a dream, and it powerfully affected him, and he told me about it later. He said that he saw Jesus, and he felt his love, and that he knew that his suffering had something to do with him coming to Jesus. So weeks later, during the height of his anxiety, I prayed with him, and he said, Jesus, come in to my suffering. Come into my life. It was a really powerful time of prayer. Up until that time, he'd been having crippling anxiety and paranoia just all the time. And after we pray together, he said, I feel total peace. I feel no anxiety, and my mind is completely clear. He was feeling a glimpse of God's peace and healing. And those of you who have struggled with extreme anxiety, you will know what a miracle that is. His mind was clear. It was really a glimpse of, of God's God's peace. But in time, even within hours, his anxiety and depression crept back in like a thief. It snuck back in and robbed his joy. And this is something I still don't understand and I wrestle with to this day, and I'm not resolved about it. And that's okay. I'm okay living with the mystery. So on February 28, 2010, I wrote this verse from the Bible in my journal. God is close to the brokenhearted and saves those crushed in spirit. From Psalm 34. And little did I know how true this would be for me in just a matter of days. 
I'll never forget that day. It was a Tuesday morning around 11. I had just finished teaching my ESL class at Franklin School, and I was sitting in my empty classroom making a birthday card for my nephew, who was turning two that day. I was probably gluing googly eyes on a card for him. And my husband, Chase, walked into the room in his work clothes. And I looked at his face, and I just knew. (laughs) My mom had called him at work to tell my dad had taken his life and was overtaken. And I just ran to Chase, and I lost all of my strength. And I just... (laughs) I just said, this was not the way it was supposed to end. I didn't think it was going to end that way. (laughs) Just the worst day. The worst news. The worst day of my life. (sighs) Man. (sighs) The date was March 2nd, 2010, which was 10 years ago today. That was not planned by me, by the way. (laughs) But someone did plan that. The next hours and days and weeks were such a blur. I don't remember a lot from that time, but certain things are just carved into my memory. We drove immediately to my mom's neighbor's house where she was just reeling in chalk, and my sister was there too. The fire department was there, the police department, the mortuary, and we were just kind of shaking and shocked and reeling. I remember the absolute kindness and compassion of the the volunteer chaplain at the fire department, Jerry Gray, as he prayed with us. It was like balm to my soul. I remember the evening of March 2nd, after a long day of being with my family, my extended family, my husband and I were finally alone in our room together, and we got down on our knees to pray, as we did often. And I opened the Bible to this verse that comes from Isaiah chapter 54. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Afflicted city, lashed by storms and not comforted, I will rebuild you with stones of turquoise, your foundations with lapis lazuli. I will make your battlements of rubies, your gates of sparkling jewels, and all your walls of precious stones. All your children will be taught by the Lord, and great will be their peace. I was so comforted by these words, but more than that, I received them as a promise for our family. I knew that not only had my dad taken his life, but also my great-grandfather. And less than a week later, at my dad's small memorial gathering, my cousin, Josie, stood up unprompted, and she said, I believe we can claim promises over our family, and this is one that God is giving. And she starts to read from Isaiah chapter 54. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace removed. And it goes on. Now I was listening. God is real, and he's present with us. And the rivers of his presence flow down to the lowly. I remember trying to sleep that night. We were staying at my in-laws in their upper bedroom, and I was just tormented by horrible images. I was playing and replaying the suicide tape in my mind. I was wondering what I could have done more. Imagining my dad's last moments, I remembered when I had said goodbye to him the day before, what I just thought was, I'll see you tomorrow. He was in his office chair. And then I would wake up in between fits of sleep and just sob and wail. It was a dark night of my soul. And in the middle of all this, as I was laying there, this picture came to my mind. And the picture was of me lying on my back in a green field. And there were tall hedges all around me. I was looking up the sky, looking up at the sky. And I was completely at peace. I was protected. I was surrounded. I was hemmed in. And I remembered the verses from the 23rd Psalm. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And from that time on, I never lost sleep over this issue. I believe it was a touch of God over my sleep. I remember the compassion and kindness of so many people, the family and friends and neighbors gathering in my childhood home, 
flowers and food. I remember a really good cheese plate that was brought from Say Cheese with nuts and honeycomb. There I go with the honeycomb again. You guys should all bring Say Cheese plates to your grieving friends. It was just, it was, they're so good. Anyway, so many cards and flowers and meals and prayers and notes. It's a little bit funny with suicide. People sometimes don't know what to say. They don't know if it's okay to say the person's name or not, or they don't want to trigger you, which is true. And sometimes they say things that don't come out right or even hurt a little because they've never been there. And so grieving for me was a process of learning to extend grace and love to people. It was really especially touching for me if to be hugged and comforted by someone who had experienced suicide also. And just to hear people say, you're going to get through this. You're going to come out on the other side of this. You're going to be okay. And that was such a comfort to me because at the time it seemed like I couldn't go five minutes without thinking about it. So just to hear, like, you're going to be okay. I cried hard every single day. I would just sob and sob and cry my eyes out. And Chase would lay his hand on me. And eventually this peace and relief would just wash over me. It was just such a gift to cry. It's really interesting. The grieving process for me was multi-layered. There was the grief of losing my father and my dear friend. And layered on top of that, there was the dealing with the trauma of suicide, which is very real. And I definitely struggled with traumatic images and memories that still even surface today, not just from suicide itself, but from living with someone uh, with mental illness a dad who's supposed to be dependable and was sometimes unpredictable and scary in his behavior. I've gotten some really good help for this, both from therapists and from people who have prayed for me to receive inner healing and help me forgive in the areas I need to forgive. But I still have scars. We all have scars, right? And certain things still trigger me, but they don't get to me, or I've learned to have a different relationship with them, I guess. Like everyone who loses someone they love to suicide, I definitely struggled with the question, was there more I could have done? What if I had called him that day? What if I had gone over there? What if I had said this or this? What if I had not said this or this? And it's normal, but it was really consuming at times. One day I was agonizing over these things, and a verse from the Bible came to my mind. It's from when Jesus was on the cross and he gave up his spirit. He said, it is finished. This brought so much healing to me on so many levels. I just felt God's healing flood into my heart when I thought about this verse. And in the one sense, it is finished in the sense I can't go back and change what I did or didn't do or I didn't didn't say. The past is the past and it's done. But also when Jesus said this, he was talking about being finished with the work that he came to do, which was a work of redemption and of giving his life for us. And because of that, I will see my dad again one day. Another way that losing my dad affected me was my struggle for identity. I had lost my dad, my felt like my biggest fan, and in my heart I just felt kind of inadequate, like I wasn't good enough. And I felt kind of bad because I couldn't do the things that I used to do. I was used to being successful in what I did and taking leadership roles on at church or at work in spearheading creative projects. And I think I got a lot of my identity from that. And so I was laid low and I just didn't have energy for those things. All of my energy was taken up taking care of myself and my family, and getting well and getting healed, which is the way it's supposed to be. But I struggled, and sometimes it just felt like there was this tape in my mind, like, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad. And right in the middle of all that, it wasn't a moment, but it was over time, I came to this understanding of my identity as God's child. And I think a lot of that had to do with I, the fact that I had lost my biological father and I was sort of foundering in who I was without him. And I came to an understanding of my heavenly father, that I was a daughter of God, and that's where I got my identity, that I was completely loved and cherished, not for what I did, but just because I was a daughter and nothing could change that. I was accepted. And this is something that has impacted my life. 
I also really dealt with disappointment, a lot of disappointment. Remember I told you that when Chase came into my classroom, the first thing I said was, I didn't think it was going to end this way. I wasn't surprised to hear the news, but I was shocked. I was just so full of faith that my dad was going to get better and that he was going to get to a better place. And maybe you think I'm crazy, but I sincerely believe that Jesus was going to heal his mind. I believe God is a God of healing, and I still do. But it didn't happen the way I thought it was going to. He died from his illness. So here I was trying to reconcile tragedy and suffering with a good God who, like I teach my kid, has the whole world in his hands. We all face disappointments on some level, and I feel like we can either choose to be bitter and offended and question God's goodness, or we can choose to say, God, I know you're good. I don't know why this happened, and maybe I'm never going to know, but I'm choosing hope, and I'm choosing trust in this situation, and I'm not going to question your goodness. It was coming to a place of living without bitterness, without offense. And it made all the difference in my journey. It's really interesting when we were cleaning out my dad's desk after he died, we found this post-it note with his handwriting on it, and it said, his mercies are new every morning. He wrote this when he was still alive, but is it still true the day after his suicide? And I say, yes, it is. The verse comes from the book of Lamentations, which is a book of lament, a book of mourning in the Bible. Um, It's a book of mourning over the ruin of Jerusalem, the devastation and death. And this is the full, the full verse says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So whatever the disappointment or heartache we face, he's good and he's near And I don't think the point is trying to understand it or figure it out because some things are just going to be unknown to us in this life. The point is that he is with us and he's not far. He wants to be with us in it. You might say, how can you stand up here on the anniversary of your dad's suicide? Isn't that kind of heavy? Well, this wasn't really planned by me, I have to say. I've had this story in my heart for a long time, for years and years, and I've just been holding on to it. And a few months back, Joanne approached me and said, we'd like you to share it story night. Would you consider it? It's going to be on March 2nd. And when she said that, I just knew, like, now's the time. That day was an awful day 10 years ago. But today can be a day of hope and healing. And because of God's grace, I can stand before you and say, yeah, things are really broken and we can't always fix it. We can't always understand it. But there is a good God and he's real and he's right here. So I kind of wanted to leave you with a fun story. And um, that is this. Several years after my dad passed away, it was my birthday. And I wanted to go garage sailing because, you know, good deals and finding stuff. (laughs) It was my husband and I and we were done for the day. And we're in San Roque area. We saw a sign, and I said, come on, let's just go to one more. And so (laughs) that's always me, one more garage sale. And so we went to this sale, and I walked to kind of the back of the sale, and on the shelf I found this platter with a fish on it that my dad had made. Yeah, super special. I went up to the lady who was doing the garage sale. I said, hey, My dad passed away. He made this. It's my birthday. And she was like, just take it. (laughs) And (laughs) it gets better. A bunch of the ladies from my family happened to be at this same garage sale. And I came up to her and said, I just found this. It's my birthday. We were crying and hugging. And it was just a birthday gift to me and a special thing. So if you come to my house, this is hanging above my stove. And there's me with it that day. Yeah. There's more to my story, and it's not over yet, but I want to thank you for letting me share part of it with you and being vulnerable with you. It wasn't easy for me to do, but I really hope that you take courage from it. If you connected with this in any way, maybe you're facing huge disappointment and loss, or you're weighed down with anxiety and worry, or you feel like you're being crushed with sadness, wondering if God is real. I just want to say that you're not alone. 
and um, that Jesus wants to meet you in this place. So my friend Jen, who has walked with me through so much of what I've shared with you, is going to come up and sing a song that's been really meaningful to me. Jen is a, a dear friend. She actually lives in Washington and flew down for this occasion. Today she, she watched my kids, she made dinner for me, she cleaned my house, and she ran errands for me. <laughs> Just a friend, a true friend. So as she comes, I want to leave you with the, the words from Matthew chapter 11. These are Jesus' words. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Thank you. We'll see. 
the goodness of God. I will sing of the goodness of God. I will sing of the goodness of Well, ladies, I hope you enjoyed that beautiful song and Cassie's incredible story. I know it's a story that has a lot of heartache, but it also has a lot of hope. And you you met Cassie at the beginning of the recording, and I am so glad to have her here to catch you up on what has happened in the last year of her life. So Cassie, thank you so much for for joining us on the podcast. We know that you shared really in the grand scheme of things, not all that long ago. And yet we'd love to get a little, little catch up and what's maybe happened in your life since then. I know the timing of your last story night, that last live event was um, fairly significant in terms of what just came a few weeks after that. Yeah. Yeah. Looking back, it's just amazing to see the timing because the story was I shared on March 2nd and just a couple weeks later in California, we were completely shut down. All the schools were shut down and we wouldn't have been able to hold that event with hundreds of women. So I really feel like the Lord allowed that to happen for a reason. And obviously the date was really significant. So anyway, a lot's changed since then. (laughs) A lot has happened since then. As we all know, 2020 was not what any of us expected. But I, I think uh, I was really glad to have shared because I think we're really, because of everything that's happening, we're really facing a mental health crisis in our world right now. And I really think we need to be talking about mental health more in the church. So I, I, I'm just glad to have been able to share. I know a lot of women have reached out to me who've heard that or someone has shared it with them and they've listened and said that really touched me and I've gone through similar things. Anyway, but as far as I am concerned, my life hasn't changed that much in a year. I was previously, before COVID hit, I was homeschooling mom of three. I have uh, three kids ages seven, four, and two. And so we just continued on. <laughs> and obviously, our life's been impacted. My, my husband teaches at a local junior high, so he went completely remote a year ago, and he is still remote. Not much has changed in my life on the surface, and yet I feel that in this 11 months or year, God has done a lot in my heart and in my life, and it's been a time of real drawing back to Him and a time when He has really healed my heart in a lot of ways. Right after I shared my story and uh, we went into lockdown, I would—I mean, I was very concerned for people and people who are ill and just everyone who was being impacted. But personally, my—I was spending a lot of great time with my family and my children, and I thought it was actually really sweet what was happening in our family. And then a couple months in, I just started to have a lot of anxiety and fear. I think something I didn't realize was, I don't know if you've heard about compounded grief, but when you have experienced a deep loss, like I did with my dad, and then you have another loss or something happens that is painful, it compounds and you feel all those feelings again that you felt when you lost that person or or you had that trauma. And so that kind of happened with me and I started to just feel really sad and be waking up with a lot of anxiety and anxious thoughts. And I really had to wrestle a lot with God through those times and really, yeah, do some soul searching. I I think sometimes when we feel anxiety, that's the feeling that we have on the outside, like our, our heart feels tense or we're, we have racing thoughts or we can't focus. But I think deep down for me is there's kind of can be underlying fear. And so I really had to search with God in prayer as to what I was afraid of and kind of unearth some of those fears and address them and really sit with God a lot and be in his word. Yes, I I was seeing a counselor for a while just to 
deal with some of those things. And some of the things that were really life-giving to me and helped me come out of that place was reading scripture. I just started to memorize words from the Bible. I picked Psalm 34 and every day I would work on memorizing it. And I would just go back to it throughout the day multiple times. And then I would just try to soak in the truths of God's word and just remember, you know, whatever is good, whatever is lovely, whatever is excellent, try to meditate on these things and think about these things. And so I would really do that and just put Bible verses all up around my house. So I did that. I, at the encouragement of one of my counselors, I started a gratitude journal. So I would just write 10 or 15 things every day that I was thankful for and really putting into practice that give thanks in all circumstances. Also, the other thing is I went back to those verses that I know God has spoken over my life and just claimed those promises and sat in them. Someone said something in, I think it was in a sermon a few months ago, and he said, this pastor was saying that our identities are challenged in the desert. And we see that throughout scripture. And I feel like this time has been a challenging of my identity in Christ. And so to go back to those scriptures about who I am in Jesus and things he's spoken over me have been so powerful. And I feel like it has been a weapon against fear to apply scripture to my life and to my circumstance. That's been really really powerful. And the other thing I would say that God is teaching me is to really seek breakthrough through periods of trial and anxiety specifically, which has been, that's what I've had cropped up this year. And I think for me, when I feel anxious, there's sort of this demanding presence of you need to do something to fix this, whether that's you need to remove a stressful circumstance from your life. And if you do, you won't feel this way anymore. Or maybe a person who's causing you anxiety, if you don't have this person in your life, you're not going to feel anxious or any stressful situation. And I tend to want to just feel better. So I want to remove these situations from my life. And what the Lord has spoken to me in this time is when I do that and when I act out of a place of anxiety, I give the anxiety and the fear power over me. And what he wants me to do is seek the place of peace with him and seek his wisdom and make decisions out of that place instead of out of a place of anxiety. And that was really hard this year. There was some times when I felt like I needed to immediately do something. And yet I felt God saying, wait for my peace. And it was really hard. And yet when I did wait for that, peace and his leading, there was such a rich reward. And I felt like I really pushed through by the power of the Holy Spirit for breakthrough. So yeah, just that refusing to come into agreement with anxiety and fear. And that's a big one. I I just feel like it seems like fear is having a real heyday right now. And I'm not just talking about outside of the church. I see it in the church all the time. And, And I think we need to step up and say, no, you you may not have power over us because God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and a sound mind. In, in this whole journey this year, it's not just been me on my own doing this. I mean, I really, I really have seen how we are designed for community. And this has happened in the context of community. I mean, not just my husband, who's been a huge support, but friends that I've talked with on the phone. And we've had to get creative with COVID going for distance walks and outdoor bonfires and just really leaned on the body of Christ in this time. And that's been a big challenge in this season is seeking out community. But I think the church should be the place to come with inner struggles, with mental health issues, with fear and anxiety. I started thinking of it this way. One of my best friends is from an Eastern Orthodox tradition. And she said, we see the church as a hospital where the sick come to get well. And I love that image of we're all coming with our brokenness to the body of Christ. We're all broken in different ways. Some of us have broken bodies or mind. We have, we all have soul wounds. We all need healing and we just need to come together and 
and be real together. And, you know, nobody has it all together. We are all broken in different ways. So that's been a huge source of strength is the body of Christ. And yeah, over all this, I mean, my theme song is the same as it was a year ago. And that is that God is good, no matter what. God is good, no matter what your circumstance, no matter what kingdom we're living through, no matter what ups and downs and disappointments you go through. He is always good. He's trustworthy. His word is true and it's applicable for all times. And he is absolutely trustworthy. So yeah, that's, that's how I would catch you up over the last year. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and in just that short catch up, really, you touched on so many things that in and of themselves, you could write a whole novel about. I love that you talked about everyone is broken in some way. I think so often those of us that have ever dealt with anything that's hidden, whether that be mental or emotional or social or those things you don't see, they're not, they're not visible. It's not like you walk in the room and go, oh, you know, she just walked in with a cast on her leg. We don't see the mental, emotional, social the same way. It's so hidden. And if we could see on the outside what people are suffering on the inside, I feel like that would change our response drastically. I love that you talked about scripture being a weapon that that really when you do feel you're under attack, you need a weapon. What what better weapon than God's word? It might not seem for those who have never experienced using that as a weapon, that might not really seem like it's very helpful, but I encourage you if you haven't tried it before to try it. If there is somebody specifically listening who has just lost somebody to suicide. I mean, I know there's no way you can sum up hope and encouragement in a couple sentences for for that. But were there any specific resources or is there like the starting point? You know, if somebody just met you and, and said, somebody I loved committed suicide, what do I do? What What's that? One of the first things that she might be able to do or to find that mm-hmm. may start the process of healing? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I know there are a lot of local resources, usually, like in in community, we have hospice, and they had some suicide counselors. And that was like day one. But that wasn't, for me, wasn't really the long haul. I really relied on close friends and family to get through it. And I think there's always that question of, what was there something I could have done more and you definitely replay. And I think I would just wish grace on people to understand that this is not your fault. And I think anyone close to someone who has taken their life feels a little bit of responsibility. And so I would just lift that off of you. If that's, if that's you learning to see yourself as God sees you. That was my struggle after my dad died. And I I think this could apply to anyone, but I just needed to see how God saw me and saw the situation. And once I caught a glimpse of his heart for me as a father, then I feel like that's when I really started to experience healing. So this would go, this is my prayer for every listener that they would they would see themselves as God sees them. And I always tell people this, that ask God, what do you see in me? What What do you see when you look at me? And he'll show you. He'll give you, he'll give you a word about what he sees in his daughter. And I think that that's what brought healing to me. And good counseling, of course, I think is pretty vital when you go through a trauma like that, is finding someone who is knowledgeable and compassionate and can walk you through some of the different stages of grief, and specifically when you're dealing with suicide. Thank you for sharing that. And I know it comes, or it, it means so much more coming from you because you get it. And we talk about that a lot on the podcast that, you know, unsolicited advice comes sometimes in truckloads when you go through something. And very often, though it's very well intended, 
very often it comes from people who maybe haven't walked through that before and they don't quite, they want to understand, but they, but they don't. So to hear it from you means a lot. You said right at the end that you really did have a prayer for those who have, who are experiencing something like this, who are suffering in this way. And that's exactly how I wanted to close. I wanted to ask you to pray for the listeners. And really, of course, we're praying for every woman who tunes in and listens. But a lot of times we like to focus on on those who especially identified with your particular story, that they could really see themselves in your walk, in your chapters. And if you would pray for them right now, that would be amazing. Father, I thank you that you are a father to us and that you see all of our brokenness, you see all of our pain, you see the deep corners of our heart that we've hidden away, and and you see us fully, and you know us fully. I thank you for every person listening to this podcast, and I pray for you to pour out your blessings and pour out your Holy Spirit. I pray that each person who's listening would see how you view them, God, and that you absolutely delight in them. You are absolutely head over heels in love that you came to bring life and to bring it abundantly. Thank you, God. I pray for anyone who's been touched by suicide or is caring for someone with a mental health crisis or themselves has experienced that or is experiencing that. And thank you that you didn't come for the healthy people, but you came for the sick. You told us that, Jesus. And so you are walking closely with them. And I pray that their head would be lifted up to heaven to see that you're with them, Lord, and you're not far away. God, I pray they would have what they need, that they would seek good resources and counsel, and that they would walk in community. And thank you that you came to to bind up the brokenhearted and we're all brokenhearted in some way, Lord, you came to bind up our wounds and to, to heal us from within. And I pray that we would all experience that in a really deep way. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are. And thank you for this opportunity to share from my heart about these things. And I pray that you would bless each person who heard this today. Pray in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you again, Cassie. It was really special. This story needed to be told. And I hope and pray, listeners, that you were blessed, touched, and encouraged by this story in some way, no matter what your current story is. And we hope you join us again next week for our next story. Good night, y'all. The Story Night Podcast. A ministry of Calvary Mag. For more women's stories, visit calvarymac.com slash women.